Welcome again. Uh, today we come to the second in this topical series on expressive individualism. As I said last week, uh, these are not going to be like the normal talks that we have here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church. Here at Chatswood Presbyterian Church, what we do is we just work our way through books of the Bible. So week after week, month after month, we take books of the Bible, we take a section of it, we read it, we try to understand what does this mean and how does it apply to us as Christians through the Lord Jesus. That's, that's our staple diet. But just every now and then we have a different kind of talk. And so in this talk we'll be referring to the Bible, but we're not starting with the Bible. Instead we're starting with this topic, this topic of expressive individualism. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, do please help us now as we think about our identity as Christians. Pray that you would thrill us with the richness and the hope and the purpose of, uh, of, uh, of our identity in Christ. So we pray that we would understand this and we'd be, we'd be thrilled by it this evening. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so last week we looked at a definition of expressive individualism. We looked at the book... Um, the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. And the definition we worked with was this, that the real identity of an individual is to be found in the inner psychological autobiography. So you find out who you really are by looking inside yourself to your story that, that you create. And then the authentic individual is one who behaves outwardly in accordance with this inner psychological nature. So the best way to live, the most healthy, authentic way to live is to express who you are on the inside in your outer behaviour. As I said last week, once you know that this exists, you see it everywhere. And lots of people were talking to me this morning about, I can't watch any commercial on TV now without seeing expressive individualism. It's everywhere in our culture. Well, that's expressive individualism. The plan for today is this. What we're going to do today is to think through the Christian alternative. A Christian doctrine of identity, how do you find out who you are? What's the best way to live? What is the, what's the Christian answer to this question? Who am I? Who are you? And then once we've worked out the Christian doctrine of identity for the next two weeks, next week and the week after, we'll compare and contrast expressive individualism and Christian identity. So that's the plan. Uh, today, the Christian doctrine of identity. Who are you? Sounds like a simple question, doesn't it? Sounds like a question that we should know the answer to. Seems pretty important to know who we are. But I'm not sure that the answer to the question is as simple as it might seem. So let me start off by giving you a chance to think about it. Get you to break up into groups of three or four people. Make sure nobody's left on their own. If you see somebody you don't know, call them into your group. Give you a couple of minutes to discuss the question, who are you? So if someone were to ask you the question, who are you? How would you answer? How, where, what is your identity? Where do you find it? You get the question? Okay, a couple of minutes. Let's go. I can tell from the passionate hubbub that uh, this is something that people are trying to discuss, trying to think through. Who am I? Feels like we should be able to come up with a simple answer to the question. It's actually not all that easy to nail down, is it? Uh, expressive individualism gives, at least notionally, quite a simple, single answer to the question. If you want to know who you truly are, Look inside yourself, to your inner self, to the, the story of who you feel yourself to be. But the Bible has a much richer answer. Now, the Bible does tell us to look within at who we uniquely are. But the Bible also tells us to look around at who we are in relationship. You like my pictures? Aren't I clever? Um, 
I'm lying. It was Eva who did these. I, there's no way I could ever do anything like this. Thank you very much to Eva for her clever pictures. So looking inside at who we uniquely are, but also looking around at who we are in relationship. And then the Bible also tells us, look at this one, this is really cool, to look forward and back. <laughs> there you go. To our past and to our future, to our story. Our story also defines who we are. So you see the directions where to look? Where to look to find our identity in the scripture? We look within and we look around and we also look backwards and forwards. And in terms of the Bible, as you look in each of these directions, there's a human aspect and also a divine aspect. Uh, Who we are in relationship with people and also who we are in relationship with God matters in all of these directions. Let me try to put it all together in three statements Uh, Three statements that we're going to work with today. Uh, These are my own statements, but they're stolen from books that I've read. So here they are. Statement statement number one. And this is is what we see of ourselves as we look inside, as we look within. Okay, so we'll see. I am a unique individual, made body and soul, and made in the image of God. That's what the Bible tells us we'll see as we look within. Second statement. This is what the Bible tells us we will see as we look around. I am who I am in relationship with other people and with God. So we are who we are in relationship. And then third point, this is as we look back and forward to our story. I am who I am because of my story and because of Jesus' story. Now, sorry if that sounds a little bit complicated, looking in all these different directions, but I reckon that's actually part of the beauty of the biblical picture of identity. It's not simplistic, it's, it's rich, it's complex. So what we're going to do today is we're going to think more about these three statements, take each one in turn. So let's start with statement number one. Statement number one, as we look within, we see, we see that I'm a unique individual made body and soul and made in the image of God. Let's think about a few aspects of that statement. First thing to notice is this. We have been, do you see the word? It's there twice. Made. You have been made. You don't create yourself. Uh, Yes, in one sense, your parents made you, but more fundamentally, God made us. God made us. We're not self-made. We're not autonomous. God made us, and so we don't invent who we are. No, we discover who we are. We find out who we are as creations of God. Author Abigail Dodds, uh, in writing an article on how to teach your children about Christian identity, says this. She says, Who we are is discernible and given to us, not mysterious and chosen by us. You get the distinction? It's discernible. You can work it out because it's been given to us by God who made us. It's not something mysterious deep inside that we have to choose for ourselves. So we are made. That's the first idea in this first statement. Second thing to notice about this first statement, God made you, can you see, a unique individual. You exist as a separate, identifiable entity. And you are different from everyone else. I haven't focused very much on this in the talk this morning, but uh, talking to some people, some African people this morning and talking to some Chinese people this morning, they both said to me, in our country you would never ask the question, who are you? Because you don't think of yourself just as an individual, you think of yourself only in community. Very important, and that is culturally true in some cultures. But in terms of scripture, 
You exist as an identifiable entity. You are different from everybody else. You are an individual. Yes, we're all individuals. Little Monty Python joke there. Um, now, there are lots of things that make you a unique individual. Now, here are some common markers that people use to describe themselves, and maybe these are some of the things that you use to describe yourself as you were answering the question before, who am I? And you can find mention of all of these in the Bible. Uh, race and ethnicity. The Bible talks about Jew and Gentile. It even talks about, did you see in the passage, say, Scythians. Is that how you pronounced it? Scythians, something like that. Scythians, something like that. All right. I don't know if there is any Scythians among us, but we all have a race and an ethnicity. A gender, the Bible says, God made them male and female. Age, the Bible talks about young people and old people. I was just reading a proverb last night that the, uh, the, the, the glory of young men is their strength and the glory of old men is their grey hair. I think I prefer the strength myself, but anyway. Um, uh, your physical and mental capacity, your temperament, your religion, your culture, your occupation, your possessions, these are all ways that we can describe our identity and all things that make us different from everybody else. So, for me, I am an Australian man of Jewish heritage, in reasonable health, although I could afford to drop about 10 kilos, um, reasonably clever and hardworking, generally live with a low level of grumpiness in temperament, um, a believer in Jesus who works as a Presbyterian minister, who drives a 2003 Honda Odyssey and who plays guitar badly. Um, all these factors make me, me. They make me a unique individual. They make me different from you. So I am made by God a unique individual, separate and different. Third thing to notice about this first statement, what we see when we look inside us, it's this. God made us, can you see, body and soul. In modern thinking, and especially in expressive individualism, the tendency is to separate body and soul, and the tendency is to think that the soul, the inner psychology, is more important than the body. Now, this is a very old way of thinking. You can trace it all the way back to ancient Greek philosophers, people like Plato. Uh, the idea that we're a person somehow trapped inside a body, that who we are is really who we are within, and our bodies are kind of this thing that we have to carry around with us. Still a common way of thinking, although what's unique in today's society since the work of Freud is that it's been sexualized. And so you might hear someone say something like this, I'm a woman trapped inside a man's body. And the assumption is... The body has to change, not my thinking, not my inner identity. But the Christian view is that our bodies and our souls are both made by God. And in God's economy, my soul does not trump my body. Without my body, my soul does not exist on earth. You see this particularly with brain injury. Part of who you are disappears when your brain disappears. Without your body, your soul does not exist on earth. And our future, according to the Bible, is not to be some kind of disembodied soul floating on a harp, floating on a cloud playing a harp. No, no, our future is to be resurrected, bodily. God has made us bodies as well as souls, and our body will show us true things about who we are. Now, of course, in this fallen world, our bodies are broken and flawed, and more and more so as you get older. But nevertheless, our bodies give us true clues about who we are. 
So, to use myself as an example, uh, my small, middle-aged, uncoordinated male body dictates that I will not be a Matilda. I'm not going to play soccer for the Australian women's soccer team. That's not who I am. My body forbids it. I'm also not going to be a wallaby. I'm not going to play rugby, rugby union for Australia. Either I can, I can identify as a wallaby all I like. I can, I can dream of being a wallaby all I like, but one real scrum with a large Maori prop is going to reveal the truth. My body dictates my identity. My male body dictates that if I marry, I should marry and have sex with a woman. My white body dictates that I should put on sunscreen and <laughs> that I should never dance in public. Um, Did you see the point? My body constitutes true things about my identity. Okay, what have we got so far? We're still just in one sentence, still in one sentence. Uh, what have we seen so far in this, in this sentence? We're made, made by God, unique individuals, body and soul. Last thing you'll see in that statement there, and this is, this is quite a special thing, incredibly special thing really, uh, we've been made, can you see it there, in the image of God. And let me show you from the Bible, from Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, God created mankind in his own image. What does it mean? It means God made us somehow like himself. He made us to be his representatives on earth. He made us to rule this world. He made us to be in relationship with himself and with each other. And what it also means is this. We are created with a great value. As, as creatures made in God's image, we are more important than things. As creatures made in God's image, we are more important than the other animals. We are valuable in God's sight, and we should be treated as valuable, and we should treat other people as value. Uh, this is the foundation of why we should have such things as human rights. You don't earn your human rights by being smart, or by being a certain age, or by being born, or anything else. No, no. Made in the image of God, people are inherently valuable, and should be valued with such things as human rights. All right. That was statement number one. This is what we see when we look inside ourselves. And notice both the human and divine aspects. I'm a unique individual. You're a unique individual made body and soul and made in the image of God. That brings us to our second statement, statement number two. And this is who we see we are when we look around. And notice again both human and divine aspects. Here's the statement. I am who I am in relationship with other people and with God. Our philosophers call this our social identity. Now, the first one's called our individual identity. Second statement's called our social identity. Now, the reality is we don't and we never have existed as isolated individuals. We are made literally from our mums and dads. We are born into a family. And it's not like we're born... And that's it in terms of our formation. No, no, we are born utterly helpless and thoroughly unformed. And the way that we are formed is in relationship. If you leave a baby on its own with no relationships, it will not form an identity. In fact, it won't even survive. We are who we are because of our relationships. Again, let me use myself as an example. Most people I meet, when I introduce myself, I get this question, are you Carmelina's husband? And yes, 
That is a real aspect of my identity. I am Carmelina's husband. My relationship with Carmelina identifies me. I'm Carmelina's husband. You're not Carmelina's husband. Uh, it's something that, make, that identifies who I am. It, more than identifying me, though, it's also made me who I am. After 30 years of marriage, a whole heap of the person that I've become has been formed by my relationship with Carmelina. I now have table manners. I now, um, I, I, I now like olives and anchovies on my pizza. I, you know, I, my relationship has formed my identity. But of course, it's not just my relationship with Carmelina. Who I am has been formed very much by being the son of Barry and Claire. By being the grandson of Nico and Sapora and Ron and Jean, by being the brother of Ben and Sandy, by being the, the father of Joel, Daniel, Joshua and Bianca, by being the father-in-law of Rachel, by being the uncle of Nick, Indigo and Jet, by being the pastor of the people here in this church for 25 years, by being a citizen of Australia. All, all, of, these, all of these relationships have formed me. They identify me and they've formed who I am, made me the person I am. And all these relationships and this is very significant in terms of expressive individualism, they, don't just, they haven't just formed me, they also reveal the truth about who I am. Let me explain myself. In myself, in my own perception of myself, in my own psychological autobiography, I like to imagine that I am this calm, cool, kind, unflappable person. But my relationships reveal the truth. Who I think am I, I am in myself, well, it's easy to deceive myself about that. But relationships re reveal the reality. The reality is I'm a grumpy, impatient, selfish man. It's not that I'm a calm, kind, cool, unflappable man who is just forced to be grumpy by all these annoying people around me. No, no, all the annoying people around me reveal what is really happening inside. Do you see the distinction there? Who I am is who I am in relationship. I find my identity by looking around. And notice this, this is important. Who I am as a unique individual is not more fundamental than who I am in relationship. Me being a son is just as real as me being an individual. Me being a father is just as integral to my identity as me being an individual. For Christians, this flows from the Trinitarian nature of God. God is one, an individual. There is only one God. And yet, God is three. God exists in relationship. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are God. God is not more fundamentally one. He's just the Father and the Spirit and the Son happen to be hangers-on or something like that. God is not more fundamentally an individual and he's not more fundamentally relationship. He's not the Father, the Son, and the Spirit who happen to hang out together as one. No, no. God is truly and eternally Trinitarian. Individuality and relationship are equally fundamental in the being of God, in the identity of God. That's true of our identity as well. Who we are is not just who we are as unique individuals. Who we are is who we are in relationship. One more thing to say from that second statement, and that's this, a fundamental aspect of our identity as Christians is our relationship with God, isn't it? As Christians, we believe that we are God's people. We believe we are children of God, loved by God. Let me show you from the Bible, from 1 John 
See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Anybody answer that way at the beginning when you were asked who you are? You say, I am a loved child of God. That's a true and is a very precious answer, isn't it? Or from Colossians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Is that how you answered? I am a chosen person of God, set apart for him, dearly loved by him. This is fundamental to our Christian identity, isn't it? Foundational to who we truly are. We are God's dearly loved children. What a precious, precious truth that is. Through Jesus, we're God's beloved children. All right. What have we got so far? Statement number one, from looking within, we see that we're unique. We're unique individuals made body and soul, made in the image of God. Statement number two, from looking around, we are who we are in relationship with other people and with God. Brings us to our third and final statement. This is who we see we are as we look backwards and as we look forward to our story. And notice again this human and divine aspects. I am who I am because of my story and because of Jesus' story. This is what philosophers call our narrative identity. So you've got individual identity, social identity, narrative identity. We are who we are because of our story. Who we are has been shaped by our past experiences. Who you are has been shaped by how your parents raised you or didn't raise you. Who you are has been shaped by the countries that you've lived in been shaped by the places that you've been, by the languages that you speak, by the conversations that you've had, by the school you went to, by the things that you've been taught, by who you are has been shaped by the work that you have done and by, by the leisure that you've enjoyed. Your story has created your identity. Who we are is also shaped by the future that we hope for by our plans and our dreams, by the goals that we set ourselves. You really want to be a good piano player and you practice and practice and practice, you become who you want to be. Your future creates your identity. Uh, a, lot of this, uh, a lot of this talk has been based on a book by Brian Rosner called How to Find Yourself, and uh, he puts it this way. He says, along with looking around to others, we look backwards and forwards at our life stories in order to find ourselves. We all know this. When we first meet someone, we might ask about their cultural background, occupation, significant relationships, and where they live. Going deeper, a more penetrating question is to ask them, what in your past has made you who you are today? Or where are you heading in life? Human beings tell stories about themselves that matter. Or well, Alistair McGrath, an English theologian who's also written on this topic, he says, the story, the story we believe we are in determines what we think about ourselves and consequently how we live. We are who we are because of our story. But for us as Christians, God has gloriously broken into our story. And so our statement says, we are who we are because of Jesus' story. I am who I am because of Jesus' story. As Christians, we believe that we've been united to Jesus, united to Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus. And so everything that he has done becomes ours. His story becomes our story. Let me show you these Bible verses from Galatians. I have been crucified with Christ. What do you think that means? I have been crucified with Christ. It means his death is your death. 
His death pays the price for your sins. You are there united to him by the Holy Spirit so that what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world is you. That's your death for sin being paid. I've been crucified with Christ, so what does it mean? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you see? United to Christ. His story becomes ours. Look at this one. This is from our reading tonight from Colossians chapter 3. Since then you've been raised with Christ. What does that mean? You've been raised with Christ. There's a sense in which Jesus at the right hand of God pleading for you as your representative. There's a sense in which you're there. That's counted as you. You have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As people who rely on Jesus, our life is united to Christ. When Jesus lived his perfect life, that's counted as our righteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, that's counted as the penalty for our sin being paid. When Jesus rose from the dead, that's the beginning of our new life, the first fruits of our resurrection. If you're a Christian, Jesus' story has become yours. You no longer live. Christ lives in you. That means all your sin is forgiven. It means God has pardoned you. And it means, going back to our first statement, remember our first statement, that we've been made in the image of God? It means that you are being restored in the image of God. We're created in the image of God, but the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the image of God. But Jesus, the true image of God, has come. And now if you are united to him, the image of God is being renewed in you. You're being made into who you were meant to be all along. Or you remember from the second one about our relationships, the idea that we're beloved children of God. In our union with Christ, we are forgiven and accepted as God's dearly beloved children. And this is foundational for who we are, isn't it? This is central to our our identity. I wonder if anybody answered the question this way. When you were asked, who are you? If you said, I'm a sinner who has been loved and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and is now united to him and on my way to a new heaven and earth. That would have been a good answer to the question, wouldn't it? That would have been a true answer, beautiful answer. That's what we see as we look back. That's what we see as we look forward We are who we are because of the gospel story, because of Jesus' story. All right, let me summarise. Who am I? Well, when I look within, I see that I'm a unique individual, made body and soul and made in the image of God. When I look around, I see that I am who I am in relationship with other people and with God. And as I look backwards and forwards, I am who I am because of my story and because of Jesus' story. My friends, I have to say, as I've been reflecting on this over these last few months in preparation for this talk, uh, first of all, these have been some new thoughts for me. I've never thought quite as, in such, quite such a complex way about who I am before. The other thing is, as I've reflected on this, as I've thought about who I am as a Christian, I have to say, it makes me feel really happy. This is quite delightful, isn't it? It's quite delightful. How kind of God to make us us. How kind of God to make us his beloved children in his family. How kind of God to destine us for glory. This is a rich identity. 
This is, a, this is an identity that should fill us with joy and with hope and with purpose. This is, this is an identity that should, that should make us fall to our knees and want to worship our glorious, kind God. I hope that's how it makes you feel. Okay, well, over these next couple of weeks, we're going to contrast Christian identity with expressive individualism, and hopefully we'll see this, this point even more clearly. This is really just the one thing I want us to come away with after the four weeks. The Christian answer is better. Christians, I don't think we should come out of this thinking, oh, it's thou shalt not. Christians are life-denying, repressed. No, no, no. I think we should come out of this going, in Christ, we have an immensely richer, better identity, a glorious identity, a glorious purpose, and a glorious hope. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for making us us, distinct individuals. We thank and praise you for making us in relationship with each other. And we thank and praise you for the story that you've given us. And we thank and praise you for the way that you've broken into our story through the Lord Jesus Christ, uniting us to him so that we're being restored in your image and so that we are your beloved children. Father, you're incredibly kind to us. How wonderful is the Lord Jesus. How wonderful is the identity that we have in him. Help us to delight in this. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.